pastor's message last week was pretty awesome. Yeah? If you guys, if you weren't here, the good thing is you could go to our website, timefornewlife.com, and uh, you go to the media page. You can listen to it either online or you can download it, or you can also sign up for our podcast. If you guys have an iPhone or whatnot, um, it'll automatically download the latest sermon to your um, iTunes on your phone, and you can listen to the message uh, throughout the week as you go to work or whatever. So um, if you have people who weren't here that you're like, ah, you needed to hear this, you you know, they can find us there on on iTunes or our podcast or our website. Um, So look up. Yeah, up. Look up. Uh, Are you sitting under an umbrella? And if you're not... If you're not sitting under an umbrella, think about how that is in the world today. There are a lot of people who are walking around, who are living their life without any covering. Imagine if it just started pouring right now, right? Where would you guys be? What would you be doing? I think you'd be making your way for the umbrella, yeah? And, uh, you know, that's kind of, that's what we saw with 9-11, with the terrorist attacks, you know, all of a sudden there's this huge spike in church attendance right afterwards, right? Know what I'm saying? And, you know, going to church is good, and I really, you know, want people to be here. But that is not the, that's not how we're supposed to live our life. That's not, that's not how it goes. It's not what it all boils down to. It boils down to a relationship with God. Dad and I were talking this past week, actually. You know, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Did you you get that? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. There's a complete transformation that happens. You know, when you go to the garage, you go to the shop, you learn how things work. You learn how cars work. And how to take it apart and get to the nitty-gritty, build it right back together. And this is what church is about. But attending church is not the solution. Submitting and obeying God, receiving Jesus Christ as the one truth, our Savior, that is where it all begins. That's where it's all focused. That is the finish the author and finisher of our faith. It all revolves around Jesus and a relationship with him. Amen? Part of our, um, uh, I just want to say this real quick. Brock, let's go ahead and throw those verses up. First Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 13 and following. This is just a recap. Uh, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. So, 
pastor talked about God appointing authority. Um, he is an authority over everything, and uh, we're going to get into that more. Today, we're going to talk about God's authority with our series of spiritual umbrellas. But before I do, I want a little participation. To you, who is God? I don't want some doctrinal thing that you've heard, you know, or theological thing. I want to know, to you, who is God? Friend. Creator. Father. Life preserver. My constant companion. Hmm. To you, who is God? What do you think of when I say God? What comes to mind? God. Awesome. Love. The Lord. Authority. Amazing. Most high. Go ahead, Carol. Forever. Pretty good. So, what do you think you thought of God before you became a Christian? Maybe like Pastor talked about with Cody, his family. God doesn't really know what he's doing. I think of an old, old song. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Yes? That's actually a little talk that she's got with God. God, we don't need another mountain. You know what I'm saying? She's telling God how things are, what we need. What comes to mind when you think of God as the most important thing about you? A.W. Tozer said, great theologian, man of God. So when you think Father... There's something about you that looks to him. You need a father. When you say he's your constant companion, there's something about you that shows your need for relationship and intimate knowing. Yes? Think about how you know God. All right. Let's just be real. How many of you have some questions that you'd like to ask God when you see him someday. I think I counted like 11 real quick. Was that is that it? I mean, is that it? Just one more time. How many of you have some questions you'd like to ask God? Okay, so like two-thirds of us at least. <laughs> How do you feel about that? What do you think? Is that reasonable? Do you think your questions are, like, what's one question that you would ask? Anybody? Would be so vulnerable? What's one question you would ask? Go ahead. Okay, where is the boundary of the universe? Okay. Anyone else? Come on. (laughs) How does free will... Okay, anyone else have any other questions for God? What were you thinking? 
Does anyone have a question? It's like, where were you when? Why did this happen? Can I get a witness? Does that mean, can we be real with each other? Yes, that's where you're at? All right. This is, this is going to be a, uh, an eye-opening kind of a thing, and I, I believe it's already uh, God's been preparing. It's going to be a humbling kind of moment um, for this message, um, recognizing who he is, recognizing who we were, and now who we are. There's just a big perspective that's going to be, we're going to look at here. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is saying there is a huge gap between our knowledge, our wisdom, our sense of what is right and wrong and justice and his. Our way of doing things and his way of doing things. There is this vast difference between us. So we should be careful and how we think about this, how we, how we relate with God and, and tell him, you know, how to do things. What do you think? Yes? But yet, he calls us friend. And we talk to him like a friend, don't we? I mean, if you don't know, you can. He invites you to call him, to talk to him as friend. But he is so much more than friend. Remember who he is. So just how big is our God? Um, if you look at your inserts, um, and try not, will you, can, will you please say this? I will not read ahead. Go ahead, will you say that? <laughs> I will not read ahead. Okay, so there's some characteristics of God. We can't, um, you know, uh, we can't start to understand God unless we start looking at his attributes, okay? And uh, there's some characteristics divided into two categories, all right? There's incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. This is a teaching moment, okay? Um, this is not on your paper yet, but there's incommunicable attributes are the aspects of God's character that he less fully shares with us, all right? This includes self-existence, immutability, um, infinity, unity. Okay, that's, is all, that's all that's like reserved for God. Okay? But then there's the communicable attributes, the aspects of God's character that he more fully shares or communicates with us, like uh, God's uh, spiritual, intellectual, moral nature, right? Uh, including like knowledge, wisdom, truthfulness, Goodness. These are things that we identify, we share with God's being made in his image. Yes? Are you guys tracking with me? Okay. Um, Holiness, righteousness, even sovereignty. And this is kind of where 
Paula was saying, you know, what, what, how does free will work? God gives man sovereignty over things, but not total sovereignty. Yes? So this is where we share in God's nature, made in his image. Um, and these attributes can be divided even into eternality and goodness. But let's look at the attribute of eternality, meaning eternity. Um, God is present in all time, and therefore all time is present to God. God being eternal has no beginning or end or succession of events in his own being. What this is talking about is as far back as you can imagine eternity past, God is there. And as far forward in eternity future as you can imagine, God is there at the same time. God is not defined by time. He created time. He is not restricted by it. Yes? Therefore, all time is, quote, present to God. I'll get to that in just a little bit when I get to the omnipresent. Um, then you'll see there's a bunch of scripture references for you guys to have throughout the week uh, when you do Bible study because you're good Christian people. Yes? All right. Let's look at the first blank, the attribute of independence. There's all E's in the word independence except for I, beginning, I-N. I always get confused. Is it A-N-C-E? E-N-C-E. God's attribute of independence. God does not need you or the rest of creation. God created all the worlds and everything in it for our enjoyment. And he created man for his enjoyment. God has no need of you. Unlike the government, who has authority and sovereignty and things like that, and they, they set things in motion, they need you, specifically your tax money. Yes? Okay, but this is not how God works. He is not dependent upon you. In and of himself, he has all he needs. He has no need. Yes? So just remember that when you start to bargain with God. Attribute of being infinite. God is unlimited. He is unbounded. There is no confinement, no limitation. He transcends everything in his creation. Just last week, we sang a song um, called The Greatness of Our God. And the chorus was saying that no sky contains, no doubt restrains all you are the greatness of our God. God is limitless. He is boundless. Nothing can contain him. But how many of you are guilty of putting God in a box? Yes? I mean, I'm, I guess I'm the only one. Yes? We limit him. Sometimes we feel that God is limited by our obedience. Sometimes we feel God is limited by our doubts and fears. God is infinite, and he transcends all of that. God is omnipresent. The attribute of being omnipresent. All things are present to God 
in of themselves, whether they be events past, present, or future. Pastor, where's my sticky note? This is just a little example I talk about with kids, all right? Thinking about God being omnipresent and thinking about this whole eternity thing. How big is God, all right? Would you say that I'm fairly sizable compared to this post-it note? Yes? Okay. Got some math people are like, he's about 345%. Okay. Um, larger. <laughs> I can take this post-it note, and I can write, you know, 1950 to 2017. I can, go to, I can create a timeline on here, right? And I can even make little marks on there. This is 1983. I was born. 1988, I was in kindergarten. You know what I'm saying? I can put little marks on there. And those marks, that doesn't define who I am. Those are points that show my involvement in the timeline. But everything that's written on this paper, if I was to, to, to just map out the beginning of time, the beginning of the world, to the end of the world when Jesus returns and whatever else, it's all contained on this little paper. But I am not bound by this paper. I stand outside of it. And God stands outside of his creation, but he is not just distant and set it in motion, and that's called deism, so you guys know, okay? God created everything and just kind of stands back and watches. That's, that's deism. We don't believe that. We believe in theism, where God is, he upholds his creation and is involved in his creation, though he is separate from his creation. Are you with me? And that's what I'm doing. I uphold this creation. I'm involved in it, but I'm separate from it. This is how big God is. And so when we think about God's timing, that's nice and comforting kind of for us, recognizing that, well, sometime he'll do something. But God's timing, there is no, there is no sequence of events for God. All time is present to him. Looking at this post-it note, you're thinking, well, six months ago I asked for this prayer. You know, whatever, 12 years ago, I was praying for my son or daughter to come to know Jesus. And you're thinking, man, how long is it going to be, God? And all time is present. And at the, at the appropriate moment, at, according to his will, he'll bring about what needs to happen. And this is where we have our timing and our ideas, and we limit God. We think that God is somehow defined by time. And we're looking for his perfect timing. When it's really about his perfect will. And how he wants to bring that about. This is where we're going to get some challenge here. um, Omnipotence. That is P-O-T-E-N-C-E. Omnipotence. That is power. Omnipotence is God's ability to bring completion to his design for creation. He is all-powerful. There is nothing he cannot do that is consistent with his nature. God cannot sin. God cannot lie. That is not in his nature. Okay? So there's, there's that aspect. But that's because, well, we'll get into the next thing, God's goodness. Part of God's goodness There's many attributes, many aspects of goodness. I've just given you three. Uh, The first one being wise. God always chooses the best goals 
and the best means to those goals. I want you to really think about this. (laughs) This is really challenging. When we think about a diagnosis that you receive, when we think about the death and the suffering that's going on, you see, part of God's wisdom and goodness, in the Hebrew, the understanding of wisdom was both intellectual and practical. I'm wise enough, I have knowledge and how that should be, you know, how, how to, what should be happening right now. And that. But then there's the practical side of wisdom, of what to do, what not to do, okay? Uh, sometimes you might think about that as like common sense for, you, for people. And with God, there is this, uh, this thing that in his goodness, all of his goals and the means to achieve those goals are good. God was not surprised when Eve reached up and took the apple and ate. God was not surprised when you did whatever black spot of your past that you want to think about. God wasn't like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Let's go back to the, 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 the chalkboard and let's, let's rework some things. The Bible actually says, that before the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified. He died for us. It was already figured in. It was already planned. Before he said, let there be, he already knew what was going to happen. And he made the provision for it before he ever spoke. So there's some amazing, infinite, good wisdom that he has knowing this battle between good and evil, knowing this struggle that we have that's going on. That is, you know, the Apostle Paul kind of got a glimpse of the wisdom there when he writes Romans 5 or when we see in Philippians or, or even Hebrews 12 talks about it with Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We see that with all of the suffering and things that's going on, it's something that God chooses to use to work in us his character. And he basically feels like that's good. The hardship, the suffering, the pain, the drama. God knows what is all happening. He is not clueless. He is not blind. He is not absent. And we may disagree. In fact, I will just be bold enough to say we do disagree with God's decisions, his timing of things, and what he allows. And this is where coming back to, God, how should we see you? And how should we feel about you? And how should we think about you? You are always only good. There is no room for God to make a mistake. Let's look at that goodness. God is the final standard of good. And all God is and does is worthy of approval. This is where... What does that mean? It's worthy of approval. Again, God has no need of us. Why why does it matter if we approve? (laughs) 
of what God is and what God does. What that's talking about is that we need to humble ourselves and recognize that his way of doing things is not just higher than our ways, but that it is good. And he should be praised. He is deserving of praise. Even in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our doubts and our fears, that his ways are higher and he should be lifted higher because of who he is. He is good. And so we praise him in the midst of whatever it is we're dealing with. Yes? I am guilty of not having that attitude. Am I alone in this? Are you guys with me? Recognizing that we question, God, are you actually good? Are you actually for me? Do you really hold your promises, God? God is righteous and just. He always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. Just like this post-it note, God says, this is right, this is wrong, and it's this way because I am this way. Not because God is contained to a post-it note and a sense of right and wrong is is imposing upon God. God does not have to uh, conform to some standard of right and wrong, something that's above him. And this is how we know he is good and the devil is bad. No, God is good and God is right and God is pure and holy. He is the definition of what is right. And therefore what he says in the law about thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And all these things in the law that he gives to Moses was not about just putting handcuffs on people to restrain them. Okay? It was a revelation, perhaps the biggest, greatest revelation of his character, of who he is. He says, you should not kill because I am the life giver. You do not steal, steal because I am the giver. You do, not, you, know, you do not commit adultery because I am faithful and am calling you to be faithful with me. You, yes, are you with me? These things about how God says this is right and this is not does not come because, you know, he has the sense of what's right and wrong that he conforms to. He is pure and right. And what he says defines what is pure and right, which is why we have 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about, well, love is. Because there's a lot of confusion in the world, and there always has been, about what is love. And so that's why, okay, let's bring some definition. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't seek its own. And actually, when you see later on in Scripture where it says God is love, not love is God, because that is different. God is love. God defines love. And so really what we're seeing is that God is patient. God is kind. God doesn't seek his own except his own glory because he's deserving of it. The only one deserving of it. God first revealed himself to us as creator. 
Genesis 1.1. Anybody know what that says? In the beginning, God. I just love it. In the beginning, time and chance happening, random processes created some chemical ooze that eventually evolved. In the beginning, God. And what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God reveals himself as creator first and foremost. Again, he is distinct, separate from his creation, but he's involved and creation is dependent upon him. God created the universe to show his glory. God has purpose in all that he does in the world. And he providentially governs, directs all things so that they accomplish his purposes. But what about Hitler? What about Emperor Nero back in the days? First Peter chapter 2 that we started out with was when Emperor Nero, Emperor Nero was in charge. And he was on a, a manhunt to, to extinguish Christianity in the region. Persecuting the greatest persecution the church had seen at that point. And Peter still says, respect the king. God appoints all authority. He is not surprised by what's going on. And he uses it, even the wicked, to accomplish his purposes. Even Judas betraying Jesus to accomplish his purposes. He is sovereign over all. We can trust him, but will you trust him. What happens when we step out from under God's authority? What happens when we step out from under God's authority? Go ahead, Judith. The devil attacks us. Anyone else? Come on. Thank you. Good answer. I'm saying you're wrong. The devil attacks us next. Come on. What happens when we step out from under God's authority? Fall into pits. Pits. We stumble. We fall. Get broken. God says, I'm sorry. (laughs) My dad says, we're on our own. We step out from under God's authority. We're on our own. Anyone else? What happens when we step out from under God's authority? We're under judgment. Amen. Linda says, chaos. I would like to add something to what Judith was saying. Many times, even though we're, it's when we're under God's authority, I believe is when the attack comes the strongest. But we have help. We have his presence. Amen? Um, but yes, there is no defense. When you step out from under God's authority, there is no defense. And the attack comes from the enemy. Well, God is sovereign. So you know what? We actually cannot step out from under his authority. However, we can rebel against him. And we can try to establish our own authority. And we can choose to sit submit to some other lesser authority than God if we want to. I mean, this is 
how Lucifer in heaven did this. He, he chose to rebel against God and establish his own kingdom, his own authority, and he got sent to punishment, got cast out of heaven. But that doesn't mean he's not under God's authority because we see right at the beginning of Job chapter 1 that here God calls him into account. And what are you doing? So even though you can rebel against God and even though you can try to establish your own authority and your own kingdom, you're still accountable to him. Yes? And so what happens when we rebel or reject God's authority? Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. Eve looks at the fruit of the one tree. God says, if you love me, just don't touch this one thing. Don't eat this fruit. You have everything else. Just show your love for me by not doing this one thing. And what does she want? That one thing, right? And so when we rebel against God, when we reject his authority, we lose fellowship with him. Think about this in your own life. Think about this when you have some sin issue in your life. And you do it, you follow through with it, and you know there's just this gap between you and God. I see. Does anybody know that feeling? Yes? Four of you? I hope I'm preaching to the right people here. We lose fellowship with God when we reject, when we rebel against his authority. We also see things differently when we rebel against him. Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, and their eyes were open to see good and evil, but they didn't know how to handle it. We see things differently. We start focusing on the temporary. Think about this. When you go to do things in your own strength, you're not thinking about God's eternal plans and purposes. You're thinking about how you're going to get a paycheck this week. You're thinking about how you're going to get your kid to listen to you. You're thinking about how, you see what I'm saying? There's this temporal stuff. Our focus gets gets sucked into materialism. And the, you know, God, I just want to see the pain end. If it's physical pain and you got some medical issue that's going on, if it's emotional pain, and we're going to focus on anything, something, I'll drink, I'll do drugs, I'll go sleep around, I'll do something to silence, to, to calm the pain. Our focus is on the temporary. And we lose sight of God's eternal plans and goodness. You know what else we do? We minimize God when we reject his authority and we exalt ourselves, bringing God down. In fact, that was what Lucifer was guilty of. Man, why should we be giving worship to God? Look at, look at this. Look at me. It's exactly what he did. We minimize God. We exalt ourselves. And you know what? When I asked you how many of you have some questions that you'd like to ask God someday, what you do when you have that kind of a that thought process, that kind of mentality, is you exalt yourself and you, you make it so God has to give an account to you. Who are you that God has to give an answer to? I know that's a really sharp punch in the face. But when we think about this, 
God, I got a question for you. Who are we? How do we, we need to recognize who he is. When we step out and rebel, reject God's kingdom, God's authority, then we either join the kingdom of this world, going along with whatever the world does, submitting to that lesser authority than God, the world, or we create our own kingdom. Do you guys see this in your life? Yes? I think all of us see this. This is the pull that that tugs our heart, that pulls us away from God and either to ourselves or to the way, the pattern of this world. This is why the Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the image and pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? This is that pull. And, and we either join the kingdom of this world or we make our own. And here's what James chapter 4 says. James 4, verses 4 through 10. says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Pause. This is not talking about having Christian friends. I'm sorry, or non-Christian friends. This is talking about you being, I'm, I'm going right along with the way the world does things. Count me in with the rest of the rest of the world. God has not called us to that. He has called us out of the world and next to him, to his side, to be with him. Yes? Not the way the world operates and trying to establish what they want, when they want it, how they want it, where they want it, with who they want it. Yes? Let's keep reading. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Verse 6, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. The English Standard Version actually says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. There's a prayer that has been made into a song. And it's 25 years old, so deal with the antiquated music. But I want to reflect on this. And I pray that this stirs into you that it's not a song, but that you also take this moment to humble yourself and magnify God.
God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus says, he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to, come on, obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I have been given all authority, he says, and he entrusts us. He charges us with something. And as we walk in obedience, he promises he is with you. No matter what, he is with you. In the presence of your enemies, he prepares a banquet. He leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, and he leads you besides still waters and green pastures. He is with you always when we're under his authority. Amen? What does that mean? It means that you were outside the umbrella, but when you choose to submit to his authority. You go from being, you know, trying to figure out life on your own and having meaning and purpose to your life on your own, trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? Why am I here on this earth? To now, when you submit to his authority, he tells you that you matter. The creator of matter tells you you matter. You got something to live with live for, to die for. Amen? So how do we move forward from here? What does this mean? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. It says, you're not like that, living like the world does, for you are a chosen people. Say, I am a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, deserving of God's wrath and hell, but now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Verse 12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Notice it says, I warn you as temporary residents, that we need to keep an eternal perspective, because he says, when he judges the world. So in your temporary existence, remember his goodness. Remember his omnipotence. Remember his faithfulness. And now, remember 
who you are. Who he has made you. God has created something new when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, today's a good day. If you have submitted to his authority, called on the name of Jesus, then you have hope that no one else does. You have strength no one else does. You have purpose that everyone else wishes they had. Let's look at this identity creed that's on your bulletin insert there. This is something that I, uh, some girls came by the church back in January, somewhere around that time. And uh, they just wanted to hang out. And they had a couple questions for me. And a lot of it was dealing with their self-esteem and dealing with their identity. And as they were talking, I basically, well, this is what the Bible says. And this is what the Bible says about that. And I started writing stuff up on the white the whiteboard. And uh, by the time we were done with our conversation here, we had all these little statements about who God says you are. And so we just put it into this little thing, and they call it their identity creed. Katie, I think you've memorized it now, yes? Yes. Uh, I think all the girls uh, who have received it, they've memorized it. Um, they put it in their lockers. Uh, Claire Bear took and uh, wrote it up all nice and pretty. She put it on her school locker. Just a reminder who she is. And um, let's look at this. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know as we go down here. It says, I am beautiful. And that's because I was dealing with a bunch of girls. But guys, you can say, I am handsome. Okay? Um, how about we say this together? And I want you to really think about what you're saying as we say it. I am a child of the living God. His favor and blessing fills my life. God provides everything I need, and his grace is sufficient to see me through any situation. I find my identity in Christ. He lives in me, and I live my life for the glory of God. I am beautiful, intelligent, talented, and capable. Every obstacle I face is really just a challenge that I will overcome because I am surrendered to the Holy Spirit who empowers me to know and do God's will. I encourage you to take that out and say it when you wake up, before you go to work or school, before you go to bed, and just see what happens to your walk with God, to your confidence. Because part of this that says, I am surrendered. You know, the obstacles that we face, sometimes they're there because we're not surrendered to God. But if you are surrendered to God, as the last line of that identity creed says, then the obstacles you face are there because God says it's, you know, this is, you're doing what he wants you to do. And what looks like an obstacle isn't that because God's will will be done. So it's not an obstacle, though it looks like it. It is really just a challenge, and you will overcome it as you surrender to his leading in your life. Amen? So because he is sovereign, because he is good, always and only good, we can trust him 
And I pray you join me that you will trust him. Submit to his authority. And watch those obstacles, one by one, become be overcome as you see the power of God, the favor of God at work in your life. Amen? Will you guys commit to reading this identity creed this week? Speak this truth of your life. And if you want, I challenge you to find the scriptures in the Bible that support these statements. All right? Pastor, you want to give a blessing? Amen. So, if you've read or heard much of the Bible at all, you know that we will give an answer to God, not that He's going to answer us. Amen? That's called checkmate. Puts us into the place where, listen, God, I live my life surrendered to you that I might be pleasing to you, that when I see you, I'm not going to ask you, and you won't answer me, but you will tell me, well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? This morning, real quickly, I woke up with this on my heart, and it was... Have you ever had an audience with God? You ever have a dream where you were in His presence? And God spoke this to my heart. And um, I'll tell you more next week, but this morning, just to, to conclude here with this, is that I was praying to God, and I said, Do you hear me? And He said, I hear your cries. Do you hear mine? thought about Joel's message. Wow. Have we forgotten who you are, King of all glory? How much do we challenge God instead of allow ourselves to be challenged by Him? So Lord, some of us would even not want to really fear God because we don't understand that fear. We don't understand that in light of awe and reverence, that with the blast of your nostrils, the blink of an eye, a whisper, you've wiped out entire armies. Nations have fallen silent before you. But Lord, you call us to a different fear. That is, Lord, that somehow we might not have received or appropriated or taken what you have for us and become what you've intended us to be. And so, Lord, we have made you too small for that situation, the conflict, the chaos, the illness, the things that we don't understand. We just put those before you now, God, and submit that they are all under your feet. Lord, we would ask that you help us to sever those ties, the things that keep us taking them back up again and living this chaotic life. Speak to us about these words. 
Help us as we, as we read your word, which is written in an identity creed, that, God, we will be, be even more transformed in our lives. And, Father, we thank you that this week, that, Lord, by the time we meet next week, you will have voted. And your person will ascend to the place as president of the United States of America. And, Lord, there will be 6,400 other offices elected from Senate to, to senators to congressmen to mayors and governors. And so, Lord, we pray that your will be done and that, Lord, whatever the outcome, we're going to see your kingdom come. And you'll be glorified in us as at least the church would be as one. We submit to your authority. In Jesus' name, amen.